Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Let me tell you a quick story to begin today's show. A couple of years ago, that's been more than a couple of years ago now. It's way back like 2004, 2005. Uh, so we're talking about almost 20 years ago now, which is hard to believe. But nonetheless, uh, actually been 05, 06. I forget the exact year. Whatever it was that Michael Vick and the Atlanta Falcons went to Philadelphia to play in the NFC Championship game. I attended that game up there at, uh, uh, what do you call it, the link up there in Philadelphia, the uh, stadium. And remarkable to to be in a hostile road environment like that and philadelphia sports fans have always had kind of a reputation of you know kind of creating a house of horrors in their local venues for uh you know games of this magnitude and i can tell you as a falcon fan there in the building that day it was you know pretty brutal and you know a lot of people getting kicked out and thrown in jail and there's just it was just kind of a madhouse and it sort of created a situation even though you know the eagles sort of beat up on the falcons there that day it kind of creates a situation that for a good long while now for pro football fans who are Falcons fans, they've sort of looked at the Eagles, not so much as a rival because they're not in the same division, but they have played in the playoffs a few times. They've had a couple of high-profile regular season games, uh, very different cultures, the sort of northeast culture of Philadelphia, the sort of down-south culture of Atlanta, very different culturally. And Falcons fans, for the most part, have never really liked Eagles fans. Having been there at the link there in Philadelphia for that particular game, I can tell you how objectionable at times those Philadelphia Eagles fans can be. We did not get Southern hospitality when we traveled up there those many years ago to watch the Falcons, what turned out to be a loss to the Eagles. My reason for telling that story is, is the backdrop of all of that has what's made the last few days after the NFL draft seem all the more remarkable to me because of the momentum that has built so quickly for these Fal- for these Georgia fans who have embraced so heartily the Philadelphia Eagles in light of the fact that you know, we talked about Howie Roseman yesterday. Uh, you know, Roseman was uh, quoted by one of his, uh, I guess, you know, coaches or whatever. They asked him, he traveled and attended a Georgia practice and uh, came back and said, who did you like? He said, I don't know. I like the entire defense. And, you know, Nick Sirianni, the Eagles coach, after the first round of the draft, when he drove into the Eagles facility that next day, reported was like saying go dogs to the, uh, you know, the reporters that were gathering there, getting ready to cover the next day of the NFL draft. And there's a lot of examples of that. That the Philadelphia Eagles have just so firmly embraced uh, the Georgia Bulldogs, and in, in return and in kind, Georgia fans have so firmly embraced the Philadelphia Eagles. You've seen a lot of the social media stuff about the Eagle Dogs or the Philadelphia Bulldogs, or you know all the different incarnations that has sort of taken. And as someone who has been a Falcons fan, to think that you know down here in Georgia, this many folks would embrace a sports team from Philadelphia. I find that to be remarkable. And obviously, a lot of this kind of stems from frustration with the Falcons, the fact that they did not take Jalen Carter at number eight overall. Now, let me say something here for a minute. I want to try to understand both sides of this particular discussion. Like, on the one hand, there are a lot of NFL people who don't really get college football who would look at this and say, y'all, the Falcons can't make a draft pick on the basis of public relations. They can't just choose a player because that's the player that played for the local college team. That's a great way to get fired. You're putting on the fast track to get fired if that's what you do. And in a manner of speaking and certainly a line of thought, you can understand how that could be true. But on the flip side of that, here's the one thing I always want to express on behalf of Georgia fans. After all, we are the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We take it seriously to sort of express the opinion of fans on a show like this. 
Here's the one thing I think that has to be understood about this. One of the reasons why so many Georgia fans are so frustrated with the Falcons is, is because even though this spans generations and, you know, a, a multitude of different kind of GMs and, and, and leadership in the Falcons, Georgia fans have seen Georgia players not selected by Atlanta many times in the past, and there are lots of examples in which that's turned out to be a huge mistake. Go back and think about the Falcons taking Vic Beasley in the draft a few years ago, the edge rusher who really kind of turned out to be one of the big busts for Atlanta. They would have had a chance to take Todd Gurley in that same draft, and Gurley went on to be one of the very best players in the entire NFL for a good number of years, probably the best offense player in the league, certainly for a number of years. He would have looked great in a Falcons uniform. Atlanta didn't select him. That's not the only time when that's been true. Think about, uh, go back to the late 90s. Atlanta needs a wide receiver right there on that third-round spot. They take Jamie German, yet a couple of picks later, Heinz Ward goes. Ward goes on to have one of the great careers uh, in, in, in recent NFL history. German is, is a guy that no one even really remembers. That's an example of Atlanta missing on the Georgia player who turned out to be great. Many years before that, Falcons needed a running back. You go back to the late 80s, or I guess the beginning of the 1990s. Uh, they take Steve Broussard out of Washington State, someone that no one's ever heard of. Could have taken Rodney Hampton, who went on to do big things with the uh, New York Giants. I believe he is in their team Hall of Fame uh, for the career that he had there in uh, New York. And there are other examples you could cite there as well. I had a chance to draft Geno Atkins, for instance. I took a different defensive lineman and said, you could cite other examples of this. So the idea that, that Georgia fans are frustrated with the Atlanta Falcons for not selecting Georgia players, even if you say Atlanta's going to make the best pick for it, Georgia fans have lived many, many years with the idea of a Georgia player being a good fit or a better fit for Atlanta than the, the player that it drafted, even sometimes at the same position, and yet ultimately just didn't really quite work out. So there's a lot of history, a lot of backstory here when it comes to Georgia and the Falcons organization. For those who live in the state of Georgia who would like to cheer for the uh, local football team, they're frustrated by the fact that their local team has not drafted enough of these Georgia players over the years. So here's my question. So what do you do about this? What do you do about this? As I said before, I do take it seriously, the idea that Atlanta shouldn't just make draft picks because of the fact that they're Georgia players. they got to make different evaluations than that. But at the same time, Georgia fans, I don't think, should have to apologize for the fact that they just simply like Georgia football better than they like Falcons football. They like college football better than they like the NFL. And if the Atlanta Falcons were smart, I believe they would do a whole lot more to reach out and kind of have some outreach and some, uh, I guess, friendlier relations with this gigantic pocket, hundreds of thousands, if not you know, a surplus of a million Georgia fans who live in the state who might be interested in also cheering for the local football team there as well in the NFL if Atlanta would just simply do more to reach out to them. Now, let me give you a couple of examples of how this sort of works out. Uh, you know, sometimes this kind of stuff happens on social media a little bit where, you know, the local team might step up and support another local team. Like, for instance, when Georgia's been going for national championships the last couple of years, that kind of creates an opportunity to kind of give the, the really positive message of, hey, we're here for you. To the Falcons' credit, they did do some of that prior to the national championship. In fact, if you're watching on video, I'll show you this some uh, on the screen. Atlanta sending the message of, you know, good luck in the national championship. You got the Falcons logo side by side with the Georgia logo. Uh, the Falcons saying on Twitter that they are for Georgia. But by comparison, another pro sports team in Atlanta, I would say, has done a whole lot more in terms of outreach when it comes to the dogs, that being the Atlanta Braves. So that's the message, if you're watching on video, that the Falcons sent before uh, Georgia played for the national championship. But look at the stuff that the Braves did. Starting prior to the national championship, they 
kind of turn the red lights on at Truist Park. Now the now the, now the dogs never get to use their LED lights for a night game because they'll never have one. But in honor of the uh, dogs, the Braves uh, turned their lights on, turned them red to wish the uh, dogs luck before the national championship. Hashtag go dogs, they said. Hashtag national championship with the red LED lights ringing the uh, stadium there at Truist Park. That to me sort of looks like an extra step that the Braves are taking that the Falcons sort of didn't take. And then after the national championship was done, it wasn't just some sort of, you know, hey, you know, kind of form letter congrats on the national championship no you got blooper and harry dog kind of standing there hugging each other uh congratulations georgia football confetti ranging down on another national championship to me that's an example of what the braves i think do quite a bit which is reach out even more to georgia than the falcons have kind of ever done you had stetson bennett who was throwing out the first pitch before the home opener this year you had jordan davis doing some similar stunt kind of stuff a year ago they have georgia theme night at truist park every year they have the co-branded, uh, you know, Georgia Braves hats that they sell there at the uh, clubhouse store. And obviously they do that for a lot of different colleges there as well. But that's kind of the point is that Braves country sort of stretches beyond the state of Georgia. There are a lot of Braves fans who are not Georgia fans because they live in the Carolinas. They live in Alabama. They live in Mississippi or they live in Tennessee, somewhere else like that. And yet even still, the Braves have sort of chosen to, I think, do outreach to Georgia fans in a way that the Falcons kind of have. I think it's smart that the Braves do that because there is no doubt that the uh, Georgia football fan base is the largest fan base in this entire state. You can do a show like Dog Nation Daily every single day. You'd have a hard time doing, you know, Falcons Daily every single day. There's not enough fans to support it necessarily, at least by comparison. So doing something to reach out to these fans more uh, is something I think the Atlanta Falcons probably ought to do, especially in light of the fact that when the draft happens, when the Falcons don't draft a Georgia player, these Georgia fans get so upset about that. What that tells me is is that the Georgia fans are only interested in the Falcons to the extent that the Falcons are interested in UGA. So showing throughout the year that you are interested in this huge pocket of Georgia fans who live in our state, I think kind of makes some sense. Now, I brought this up yesterday to John Stinchcomb. John's a lifelong Georgian. In his NFL career, he played for the hated rival, the Falcons and the New Orleans Saints. But nonetheless, he's an observer of some of what's kind of gone on here. And in light of Jalen Carter not being taken eighth overall, in light of a lot of Georgians now saying my favorite NFL team is the Philadelphia Eagles because of all the Georgia players the Eagles have, I asked John Stinchcomb what he makes of all of this. This is what John said yesterday. It's one of those things where Georgia is producing such great talent and you have the professional team and and as a fan it would make it a heck of a lot easier for me to track and travel and and follow uh, some of these players that I love if they go to our hometown team especially when they're talented and uh, you know there was an opportunity for the Falcons with that pick to bolster their team with a with a product that we're familiar with and Jalen Carter because we know he's going to be a game wrecker wherever he ends up and Man, that would be really convenient for us. Sadly, I don't think that's what uh, the discussion centers around in any war room um, as to what's what's convenient for fans. But I think building rapport and, and solidifying a base of um, fandom uh, makes a lot of sense, especially when it lines up well. And that's the point I'm trying to make here. If you don't want to draft Jalen Carter, that's sort of your business. You better hope he doesn't turn into, you know, the next great defense line in the NFL because that'll just be another example of a pick the Falcons got wrong if that be the case. 
But if you choose not to draft a guy like Carter, knowing that's what Georgia fans want, then you better have an idea of what your other outreach plan is. How do you plan on reaching these hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Georgia fans who live in our state, who love college football on Saturday, and have taken a little bit of a casual relationship with you because maybe you've taken a little bit of a casual approach to reaching out to them? John Stinchcomb talked more about that in terms of how the NFL draft plays out and how Georgia fans think about the Falcons yesterday as well. I don't want to lose sight of the fact that I don't think there's a bias against the University of Georgia. I think Falcons last year proved that in drafting two of our own. And, you know, I hope for nothing but the best for all those. But, you know, I get it. It might be easier to, to cross-pollinate a little bit. I know the, the Braves have a good relationship with, with Dog Nation and um, Georgia football and having spoken directly with a number of folks with the Falcons. Uh, they certainly aren't opposed to what's going on in Athens and are very supportive of it. I believe John on that. I don't think the Falcons organization are bad people, uh, and I don't think they have any intentional bias against UGA. I just simply think they haven't done enough. You're going to look back through the annals of history. You know, the original Falcons owner was Rankin Smith. If you go to the University of Georgia, kind of right next to the practice field and the indoor practice facility is that academic building. It's the Rankin Smith Academic Center. This is a guy who is deeply connected to UGA. You know, a lot of people may know this, that the reason why the Falcons wear red and black uniforms is tied uh, to the Smith family's ties to UGA many, many decades ago. I think reminding Georgia fans of that history, reminding Georgia fans of that longtime connection between pro sports in Atlanta and college sports there in Athens, I think reminding Georgia fans of that would be a really good thing. If you didn't want to draft Jalen Carter 8th overall, I guess that's your business. Just you better hope he didn't get it wrong. But if you want to do the best possible business you can do, the other 364 days of the year, maybe reaching out to Georgia fans a little bit more and making sure that Georgia fans know that the Falcons love UGA the way that any you know, in-state program should, that might be a good idea. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And we're glad to have you with us no matter how you get to us. 945 First and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, with the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref. And we are available as a podcast wherever you find them. Uh, Apple, Spotify, worldfamousdognation.com, all kinds of places we post the show. We just try to make it as accessible for you as we possibly can. We really appreciate all of you who tune in and choose to be a part of that with us here today. And as I said before, great friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia, they make it all possible. You know, they're proud partners of UGA. They show great support for the dogs, but they also show great support for you when you're dealing with, as a homeowner, one of the more challenging situations you might be facing. You see water coming in where it's not supposed to be. Maybe when it rains, there are signs, there are remnants in the basement, in the crawl space, the garage, things like that, that, uh, that, that you just got a water intrusion problem. Or you get out of the basement, maybe you have one of those concrete floors down in your basement, you see that unsettled flooring, you see that crack down there in the foundation, or up in the up, upper part of your house, you may see cracks in the walls, things like that. That can obviously be a sign of a foundation issue, a real problem uh, that needs to be seen about. And that's why you want to reach out to my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. They are, after all, a solutions-based company. What that means is is they want to solve your problem, whether it be foundation, waterproofing. They want to do that for you. they got an entire team of engineers on staff. They're the only ones in our marketplace that can say they have that kind of resource level devoted to your problem, whether it be foundation, whether it be waterproofing, whatever it is. They want to put those guys to work and get to work for you uh doing great stuff for you so why don't you give them a call 
ESOG now. That's 678 ESOG now. It's a very easy number to remember. And that phone call starts you on a path to solving your foundation, your waterproofing problems. That is what Engineered Solutions of Georgia is all about. Longtime loyal friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily, proud partners of UGA as well. So make sure you check out Engineered Solutions of Georgia. All right, we've got a great uh, giveaway that we're a part of here right now, celebrating our moms. I'm going to tell you more about that here coming up in just a moment before we bring on uh, Connor Riley today. Before that, though, I do want to go around the doghouse. And there is uh, something that some Georgia fans have had some fun with over the course of the last 24 hours. And I don't know if this is true or not. This is one of those things that somebody says they heard. Uh, but nonetheless, it certainly got the attention of Georgia fans. And it kind of gives us a good laugh here today in the aftermath of the NFL draft and kind of looking at all the top teams in the SEC and around college football, trying to replenish their rosters and sort of figure out what ne- what's next. And so the website on three, you may have heard of that. They got one of their video guys who was relaying a message that he had heard from people sort of close to Alabama and you better believe that Georgia fans were laughing about this yesterday let me show this on the screen here for a moment and I'll kind of tell you what the uh, fuss was about here they got him back I think his name JD Pickle I believe is how you say his name uh do we have that can we show this yeah here we go so here so Athens Steve shared this with me and he's uh, he he kind of gives me the laughing emoji about this so this is what uh JD Pickle says he heard about the Alabama quarterback situation remember uh Tyler Buckner brought in as the Notre Dame transfer uh, he says, this is Pickle from On3, what I was told about this quarterback situation as a whole with bringing in Tyler Buckner was that Alabama was looking for their Stetson Bennett. Now, isn't that funny? Uh, after all these Alabama fans for such a long time have kind of made such a big deal about, you know, Georgia only had the walk-on quarterback and Alabama had the first-round guy and they had this great pedigree of quarterback and everybody wanted to be at Alabama. You couldn't touch the Alabama talent. Uh, all of a sudden, Stetson Bennett actually goes out and wins two national championships. And Bryce Young, despite being the number one overall pick in the NFL draft, uh, never won anything of note, uh, lost two regular season games a year ago. And all of a sudden, according to the guy from on three, Alabama's like, okay, we don't have Bryce Young anymore. We didn't win a national championship with him. Now we don't even have him. So I guess we better go out. We hope we can find our Stetson Bennett. So therefore, we'll take this transfer from uh, Notre Dame and maybe he can come in and beat out you know, uh, Jalen Milrow or, or, or Ty Simpson, and maybe he may not be great. He may not be a first-round quarterback, but maybe he can be our version of Stetson Bennett. You better believe Georgia fans have been loving every minute of that. And it's kind of an example lately of what Alabama fans have sort of been hearing, kind of getting used to the idea that Alabama, at least from a perception standpoint, and two regular season losses will do this for you, missing the college football playoff will do this for you. From a perception standpoint, Alabama just kind of isn't what it was. Now, that doesn't mean – I told her our video on it before our show started today. On our Dog Nation cruise that we were just on, I had a lot of great conversation with a lot of UGA fans. I really enjoyed those. One of the things that I did notice a lot is in talking Georgia football with a lot of Georgia fans, there were a good number of fans on that cruise that I would say have sort of – you know, kind of come to the to the belief that Alabama is no longer a factor for Georgia in terms of winning a national championship, that Alabama is not going to be there as an obstacle at the end of the season, that it's more likely to be in LSU or in the college football playoff Ohio State. It doesn't seem like right now, based on some of the personal face-to-face interactions I've had as of late, it does not seem like a lot of Georgia fans are all that worried about Alabama as it stands right now. I'd say be careful with writing them off too quickly in terms of being a contender here this season, but in terms of the larger perception that clearly there's something different about Alabama now than there has been in the past, you can't help but notice that. The the idea that Buckner is the, hopefully their Stetson Bennett is an example of that. You know, Paul Feinbaum, who I think over the years has been kind of a mouthpiece for the you know Nick Saban Alabama regime, uh, was on WJOX sports radio show, uh, uh, sports radio station in Birmingham 
earlier this week. I want to read you a quote uh, from the Feinbaum interview on WJOX, kind of also kind of furthering the idea that Bama has to get used to a situation in 2023. Transfer portal is closed now. You've gotten all you can get where the roster just looks a little bit different than it has looked in the past. Uh, Feinbaum saying, as good as Alabama's roster is, and it may very well be the second best roster in college football, but it's all about keeping up with Georgia now. Do you know how heavy those words land? I mean, Paul Feinbaum had made a radio career out of telling Alabama fans how great the program was. All of a sudden, even Paul Feinbaum now has to say it's all about keeping up with Georgia now. And, of course, that's true. Georgia won the last two national championships. Alabama watched the college football playoff on TV a year ago. Of course it's about keeping up with Georgia. But now even Paul Feinbaum is saying that. You know, now even the guy that, that sort of exists to tell Bama fans what they want to hear, even he's forced to say that now. Uh, uh, Feinbaum goes on to say about Kirby Smart that he's not only recruiting talent, he's developing and keeping talent. Uh, staggering numbers in terms of the uh, total number of players that Georgia has put in the NFL draft over the course of the last two years, with 25 being drafted, and really the entirety, the uh, you know, the full picture of the Kirby Smart era thus far at Georgia. And man, those words you know are so painful for Alabama fans. And when you talk about a quarterback being Alabama's version of Stetson Bennett, they hope those words very funny uh, for Georgia fans. That that's kind of the state of the game here right now. Now listen. This fall, Alabama's going to try to do something about this. And obviously, Nick Saban's a great coach, uh, certainly has been. And even with the, the attrition off the Alabama roster, there is still a thought they'll be you know, a formidable presence. So just because you look like the better team in the offseason, that doesn't mean you'll be the better team at the end of the season. After all, last year, Alabama looked like the better team during the offseason. And obviously, we know how it played out during the year. So I'd warn Georgia fans, don't get too cocky about this. You know, don't, don't plant the flag before the battle is won necessarily. But it's okay to laugh at this, too. It's okay to kind of uh, have some humor. But the notion that Alabama fans are very uncomfortable right now about an offseason conversation taking place around Tuscaloosa that is far different than the one they're used to, including guys like Paul Feinbaum weighing in on that. We'll make that around the doghouse here today. And before we bring on Connor Riley, let me also remind you of something that we're doing here right now at dognation.com. We're coming up on Mother's Day. And Around here on Dog Nation Daily, we love our families and we love the, the, the kind of bedrock role that our moms play in making our families everything they can be. So we want to celebrate our perfect moms, moms who just seem to do everything sort of perfect, just right. Maybe not always what we want, but exactly what we need. That is what our moms are all about. And coming up uh, after a perfect season for these dogs, we're going to celebrate some perfect moms coming up on mother's day in fact you get a chance right now to kind of nominate a mother in your life whether it's your wife who's a mom your own mom you see your you know children in some cases becoming moms or you know whatever your story is on all of that great way to celebrate some great moms who are in our listening audience right now or as we call them perfect moms courtesy of our friends at Kroger. So for each one of our perfect mom winners, we're going to have a week's worth next week five of those Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of next week we're going to have a week's worth of those next week they're going to get a chance to win $350 worth of gift cards. I'm talking about a $150 Kroger gift card, a $100 gift card to Macy's, and a $100 gift card to Bath & Body Works there as well. So all you have to do is go to the top of the page at dognation.com. There'll be a link right there up top, and simply click in that and very quickly and easily tell us why the mom in your life should be recognized as one of our perfect moms next week as we give those out right here on uh, Dog Nation Daily. Kroger, a great friend of ours, great supporters of all the moms in our audience. And don't forget, also, as you're getting stocked up for Mother's Day, gift cards, greeting cards, 
uh, big uh, fun meal, flowers, all that kind of stuff. Whatever you got planned for uh, Mother's Day coming up, our friends at Kroger get you covered on all of that there as well. So you can check out Kroger.com slash Mother's Day for more on that. That is Kroger.com slash Mother's Day for more on that. And go to DogNation.com, register the mom in your life for a chance to be recognized as one of our Kroger Perfect Moms next week. Any questions about that? Hopefully not. All right, so before we're done, uh, a couple of more interesting notes around the SEC, including a very different take on the Alabama quarterback situation. We'll give you that coming up here in just a little bit. Also, an update to give you important note on five-star quarterback Dylan Riola. We'll share that with you before we are done today there as well. But prior to that, a lot of aftermath here of the NFL draft, a lot of discussion about you know kind of where things stand with the uh, Georgia Bulldogs after populating a whole bunch of NFL rosters with a bunch of former dogs. Let's cover all of that right now. Let's welcome in Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. One of the most common questions I got on our Dog Nation cruise last week is, how come y'all didn't let Connor Riley come? And what I told people over and over again was, listen, Connor Riley wouldn't miss the NFL draft for anything in the world, even though we had a great draft party on that Thursday night. Connor wants to immerse himself in everything as it relates to NFL draft coverage. He's just simply not going to miss them. I'm getting a little bit of echo here. I don't quite know what's going on there on that. Uh, but getting a little bit of a uh, – yeah, now uh, we'll see if we get that fixed and figured out. But Connor's not going to want to miss that NFL draft uh, coverage, and he did a great job for it on dognation.com. So, Connor, congratulations on a great week. Certainly enjoyed reading everything you were putting out there. You were my way of kind of following a lot of what was going on there. So appreciate the work that you did, and I'm uh, glad to have you on the program here today. Yeah, thanks. Bummed I didn't get a chance to uh, head out on the cruise last week, but uh, by all accounts, everyone there had a fantastic time. Your so, presence was glad de- to hear that well. Yeah, your presence was definitely missed. One of the things we heard so much was they want you on the next Dog Nation cruise. We'll see if we can figure that out sometime in the uh, future. But obviously, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the NFL draft. Let me bring you in, though, as kind of a non-Falcon fan on the topic I was having a little earlier, and then we'll kind of get to some of those stuff after that. So here's my point, Connor. If the Falcons don't want to draft Jalen Carter, they have every right to make whatever pick they think is right for them. But if if Georgia fans don't want to care about the Falcons, they sort of have every right to do that there too. And I live in the city of Atlanta. I've lived in Georgia my entire life. I'll tell you that the Georgia fan relationship with the Atlanta Falcons is a little bit soft. It's a little bit, you know, kind of whatever. You know, uh, I've seen huge numbers of Georgia fans this week. Can I talk about the Philadelphia Eagles? That's the idea I would never would have imagined being true because, you know, the typical Atlanta sports fan doesn't always love, you know, the Philadelphia sports fan necessarily. But it just sort of goes to show you that there's not much of a deep relationship, I would think, between many Georgia fans and, you know, uh, the Atlanta Falcons organization. So, kind of what I said before you joined us is, hey, if you're not going to draft dogs, you better find out some other way to outreach to these Georgia fans because right now they just don't care very much about you. Uh, you're not a Falcons fan, but you do live here in the Atlanta area. What do you think between the relationship about the relationship between Georgia fans and the the NFL team that happens to reside in the state? So I, I think the issue here has been impacted by two things. One, the Falcons just have not been very good in recent years. This is their third straight draft in the top ten. This is also their third straight draft where they're picking a skill player. And I think when you combine that, and, and again, like, you know, if they pass on Jalen Carter, like, that's fine. You know, a few years ago they took a defensive lineman instead of taking a skill player from the University of Georgia. And I don't think that worked out correctly. Uh, and so, you know, maybe they're trying something different there. But the problem, especially when it comes to the Eagles, the Eagles are far and away the best team in the yeah. NFC. And they, quite honestly, have built their team the same way Georgia has been built. They have a dominant offensive line. 
They have a dominant defensive line. And they just continue to load up on Georgia players from that. And when the Falcons haven't been very good and the Eagles just went to the Super Bowl and are going to be the NFC favorites to get there once again this year, you're looking around, well, Atlanta's not very good right now. They haven't been very good for quite some time. And the Eagles, who are the best team in the conference, just keep picking Georgia players and won't stop picking Georgia players. It, it leads you to sort of wonder, well, what do the Eagles know that the Falcons don't? Because any Georgia fan, and a lot of them in the suburban Atlanta area, would tell you, yeah, your team's going to be a lot better when you have Jordan Davis, Nicobe D, Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith on it. Then, you know, uh, B. John Robinson, Matthew Bergeron, uh, Drake London, and, you know, some of the other players the Falcons have picked in recent years. 11 of the last 12 drafts, the Falcons have not picked a player from Georgia. Georgia being a back-to-back national champion, they put a lot of great players in the league. And it's not just, you know, drafting great players from great schools. You know, the Oakland Raiders did that for a while, or the Las Vegas Raiders did that for a while under Mike Mayock and John Gruden. It didn't exactly work out there. But when the Eagles have as much success as they have, with Georgia players, it only makes things look worse for the Atlanta Falcons. And I think, you know, to, to kind of further that point here a little bit, you know, we heard a lot of chatter about Howie Roseman this week that some NFL GMs are getting frustrated with all the praise that he gets. He's, I think, universally recognized right now, maybe the best GM in all the NFL. When it's that guy who is advocating for Georgia so much and all the stuff we've heard about, you know, Eagle Dogs and things like that, basically openly embracing the idea, yeah, they've, they've you know, acquired a lot of UGA players. What kind of boost does that provide Georgia's, you know, uh, I guess recruiting outreach and things like that, that not only is there an NFL team that seems to want every Georgia player they can get, but it's the NFL team that's kind of largely viewed to be the team that's doing this the best right now in the talent acquisition business. How much better does that make that for Georgia? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to ignore the value that I think is going to play. You know, again, two straight years, Georgia leads leads all programs in NFL draft picks. 25 players taken over the last two years. That is an NFL draft record, uh, 34 over the last uh, three three NFL drafts. No one is producing NFL draft picks at a level like Georgia is right now. And, you know, when it comes to recruits, yes, NAL is becoming a bigger thing. But for most of these top-level guys, the two things they care most about are winning and getting to the NFL. Nobody's doing that better than Georgia right now. And I think you're going to see that reflected in this 2024 recruiting class because a lot of times this NFL draft success I think tends to be a, a lagging indicator of, okay, further down the road you get from it, that's when you start to see the real success. And so this is really the first time I think you've seen the NFL draft success reach that level. And I think this 2024 recruiting class, because of the success you saw in 2022, is really going to match up well for Georgia. All right, let me ask you about this. I talked about this yesterday, and you know, I like the actual draft. I don't like the pre-draft process. I think you probably like it better than I do, so you may be a better defender of this than I'm going to be able to be. But I think if you're a Georgia fan, you have a right to ask some questions right now. You know, we heard all kinds of, like, bad things said about Jalen Carter. Oh, character concerns, dropping him in the draft and things like that. But ultimately, he was drafted ninth overall, and the Eagles traded up to get him. There were only a couple of non-quarterbacks taken ahead of him. I honestly don't think whatever character concerns supposedly existed with Jalen Carter actually impacted his draft status all that much. He was still a top-ten pick. You know, Stetson Bennett's another one of these guys. Uh, there have been some chatter leading up the NFL draft. He might not be drafted at all. You know, he's hearing all this kind of negative stuff. Ultimately, he's drafted in the fourth round by, you know, a smart quarterback coach like Sean McVay, becoming the only quarterback that McVay has drafted actually since he's been in the Rams once again the sort of negative chatter prior to the draft didn't actually seem to be all that real because it did not really seem to impact Bennett's draft status one way or another then you've got Florio coming out Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk saying the negative stuff from Jalen Carter was coming from you know the, the, the Georgia staff which just seems 
you know, provably false given the fact that they've got such a close relationship with the Eagles and the Eagles, the ones that, you know, that sort of stepped up to a draft Jalen Carter. You had the red flags around uh, Darnell Washington and his injury after red flags a year ago around uh, Jamari Sire and and N'Kobe Dean. It seems like, Connor, there's just a lot of like whispering innuendo about Georgia players. Oftentimes, it kind of proves not to be true in the case of Jamari Salyer, certainly a year ago. Like, if you're a Georgia fan, I think you have to have a right to step up and wonder, how come there's so many anonymous people saying so many bad stuff about my guys here? Because it seems like Georgia has dealt with a lot of that over the course of the last two years. It's something, and you're correct in saying how much I enjoy the NFL draft process. It's something I can't defend, and it's the worst part of it. Uh, I think the media is a big reason to blame, and I'm not usually one of the blame the media guys, but... When reporters give these anonymous scouts these runways to just say whatever they want without really fact-checking it uh, and, you know, allow them to just publish, quite frankly, whatever. And it's not just Georgia guys. We heard C.J. Stroud was dropping in the draft because of a S2 score. Well, the Texans take him second overall. You know, it is a problem that is larger than just the Georgia industry or the Georgia or covering Georgia right now. And the fact that Georgia has so many guys taken every year, you're just going to see this, unfortunately, more and more often now that, you know, because there are so many Georgia players getting taken, a few of them are naturally going to fall. I'm not surprised. And, you know, the draft people that I really read and trust, you know, Daniel Jeremiah uh, of the NFL Network, I think does a better job than anyone. He said, you know, going into it, yeah, I did expect Darnell to drop a little bit, but he thought, you know, end of the second round, not all the way to pick number 93. Uh, Keely Ringo, you know, yeah, his his draft stock fell a little bit throughout the process, but nobody saw him falling to pick 105, and the character concerns that were labeled around him, quite frankly, came out of nowhere and were mo- most surprising to me, along with the fact that, you know, the shoulder injury that now all of a sudden pops up for him, despite, you know, playing two straight years with no injury concerns whatsoever. As someone who loves the NFL draft process, I find it personally really disgusting because, you know, Jalen Carter could go on to have a great, you know, 10, 15 year career and not have a public misstep or, or anything along the lines of that. But because of the way he was covered in these past three, four months, everyone is going to have this perception of him that he's got character concerns, that he's got character issues. And he's 21 years old, and yes, he got arrested, and, and yes, he showed up overweight to his pro day, but that's going to define him far longer than, quite frankly, it should. And it, 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 there's no other way to say it than it just really sucks. You know, uh, beyond that, I think that Georgia fans, you know, I don't think we fully processed how important Broderick Jones was, both national championship game at the end of the 2021 season, whether he played last year. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, even around all the negativity that it seems to exist around so many prospects, he just sort of roller skated his way into like the middle pack of the uh, first round there. You know, very little negative things ever said about him. Seemed to have a very good year for Georgia. And when you see, you know, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers racing to the podium to draft him, I think you're left to conclude, gosh, that, that guy probably feels a leaves a pretty big void here at, at UGA. I don't think he's probably gotten the full appreciation he should have gotten for just what a dynamic impact he made on that Georgia offensive line a year ago. Yeah, 19 career starts for Broderick. That is the fewest of any offensive lineman in this draft class, and the Pittsburgh Steelers still traded up to go get him. And I've been adamant. Uh, I think he's going to be the best offensive lineman from this class, and in looking at Broderick's career, yes, there's the Alabama game where he comes in and, you know, I think really helps flip that game when they put him in left tackle and they're able to move Jamari Sawyer to right tackle in that game. He got better every single week. And I think one of the most impressive things, when we were first talking about Broderick, when he signed as a five-star recruit, I think everyone assumed he was just going to be a great pass blocker. But there were questions about, well, is he going to be physical enough in the run game to make an impact there? 
I thought by the time he left Georgia, he was actually a better run blocker than he was in pass protection. And it speaks to the mentality that he plays with. It, it speaks to, I think, the level that he got better. And, you know, knowing Broderick from covering him as a recruit to seeing him now, he's gotten, in my opinion, a lot more mature. And you've seen that. And I think as he continues to develop, again, this guy, young kid, 21 years old, the fact that he's already this good as an offensive line prospect and is going to, I think, continue to get better. You know, Andrew Thomas was a great player uh, and is doing so at the NFL level right now. I think Broderick Jones can be even better than Andrew Thomas is, and that speaks a lot to to where Broderick is in his development scale and how much better he can still get, in my opinion. I want to ask you about next year before we wrap up our conversation, but is there anything else maybe like off the radar that maybe we wouldn't have noticed with the NFL draft? You obviously watch it very closely. Is there anything that has not gotten enough chatter and attention in your mind that should be brought to the forefront here? One thing to keep in mind here, you know, yes, the Eagles do a great job. They take two more Georgia players, and then they take Keeler Ringo in the fourth round. Jordan Davis and Kobe Dean didn't exactly play big roles for the Eagles this year, and that's sort of by design. We've heard Kirby Smart talk about a similar process when it comes with recruiting. You know, just because you bring in a five-star freshman doesn't mean they're going to play right away. Sometimes they have to take a year to develop, sort of like Roger Jones. So if Jalen Carter, if Nolan Smith, who were playing on a loaded defensive line, if Keely Ringo is playing behind two Pro Bowl corners, don't do a whole lot this year, you know, it's kind of by design because the Eagles sort of envision their team doing this and they want to draft to be ahead of the curve rather than so being reactionary and getting guys that they need to play right away. Looking ahead to next year, obviously Georgia's become a fixture in the first round of the NFL draft. We assume the same thing will be true a year from now. Obviously the easiest guy to pencil in there is Brock Bowers. I think there's a chance the Bowers is taken very, very high. I just think he's a truly special player. For me, the next name on the list would probably be Amarius Mims, maybe filling a role on the other side of the offensive line, the way that Broderick Jones filled it on the left side here this year. So if I spot you, you know, Amarius and, and Brock, and you're free to disagree, but if I spot you those two, who is next after those two names maybe in terms of potential first-round picks from the 2023 Georgia roster? So I don't mean to be a wet blanket here. I think it's going to be hard for Georgia to have a lot of first-round picks next year simply because it, positional value. You know, even Brock Bowers, who I think is clearly one of the best players in the NFL draft in college football next year, you know, because of the position that he plays, and you can look in Atlanta and what has happened with Kyle Pitts, I don't know what kind of appetite there is going to be to draft him that high. We saw only one tight end go in the first round this year, and that was Dalton Kincaid. Now, Brock Bowers is obviously better than that, but I, I do think that positional value is going to have an impact there. It's a deep offensive tackle class next year. There's a guy out of Penn State who's going to be a high draft pick. Joe Alt out of Notre Dame is similarly going to be very highly rated. And we saw Roger Jones sort of get knocked for his lack of experience. Well, if Marius Mims starts all 15 games for Georgia like Roger Jones did, he's going to have even fewer starts. And so while that wasn't a concern for Roger, ultimately it did go in the first round. I think that might be something that pushes Marius down compared to other offensive tackles. You know, Smile Munnan is a guy I think the world of, but he's all, A, already got injury concerns. He, uh, he missed uh, all of last spring with a labrum injury. He had a foot or ankle injury that knocked him out of the spring game this year. And there was one off-ball linebacker taken in this year's first round. And so there just isn't a lot of appetite to take off-ball linebackers, and Clemson's got two very good ones there. I think if I had to name a third one right now, I would say Kamari Lasseter mm-hmm. because I think a cornerback, while, yes, you know, having guys that test super well athletically helps, you know, 
Javon Weatherspoon was the first cornerback taken, and he didn't even test athletically because of a hamstring injury. And I think you've seen with Kamari, well, yes, the Georgia scheme hasn't always been great for getting those guys drafted high in the first round. I was really impressed with what we saw from him last year. I think he's a more natural cornerback than Keeley is, and you're going to see him, I think, continue to get better and improve. So if I had to take one guy that I think could go in the third round, even though he's not going to test you know, super great like, say, Nolan Smith did this year, I think with what you'll have seen Kamari have put on film, I think there's an expectation that I think you could see him get in, into the first round next year. And then last thing for you, and the name we haven't mentioned yet is Carson Beck. And for me, Connor, I can't make much of a draft projection on him until I have seen him. The one thing I will say is, once again, when you see you know the Rams very happily drafting stats have been in the fourth round, that's actually pretty high for Georgia quarterback, not just in the Kirby Smart era, but to the Georgia program overall you know Georgia doesn't have a lot of first round pick quarterbacks in its history as an organization to me it's a reminder that hey you know Carson Beck actually has really big shoes to fill and yeah Carson Beck sort of looks the part and I'm optimistic about what a season can be but you know I'm not ready to say yet that Beck's going to step in in one year and become a better draft prospect necessarily than what Stetson Bennett was because I think we have a lot of evidence to suggest that Stetson Bennett was just really really good and oftentimes way better than he was given credit for I think do you have an early opinion yet, albeit sight unseen, about what kind of draft prospect you think that Carson Beck could be next season? I'm just going to say this, and, and this was a graphic that popped up over the weekend. You know, if, if Georgia goes on to win a national championship this year and Carson starts on 15 games, he'll have 15 career starts. The list of quarterbacks taken in the first round that have 16 or fewer career starts, it is Anthony Richardson, who was taken fourth overall by the Colts this year, and while I believe in Richardson and his talent, there are a lot of people out there that are very skeptical of him and what he's ultimately going to be. Cam Newton had 13 career starts, at least at an FBS level, if you don't want to count what he did at the junior college level. Uh, Mark Sanchez had 16 career starts, and Mitchell Trubisky had 13 career starts. Cam Newton won an MVP and got the Carolina Panthers to the Super Bowl, but the other two guys on that list did not have successful NFL careers, especially when you consider they were taken in the top ten. So... There is a lot, and it's going to be something that you hear a lot with Carson. And, again, I think you're right to point out there's just no way you can project this. But there are people out there saying, hey, I think Carson Beck could be a first-rounder. The list of NFL quarterbacks that have very few college starts do not have a great track record. So I would be very uh, cautious when it comes to projecting what Carson might look like from an NFL standpoint simply because he just won't have a lot of starts, and that has been a decent indicator of what we see from a college quarterback. Carson Beck, or uh, Stetson Bennett, for example, had over 30 career starts, and so I do think that that is something that you're going to want to look for, and teams specifically going to want to look for in a guy like Carson Beck, who is not the athlete that either a Cam Newton, Mitchell Trubisky, or Anthony Richardson was. Yeah, I mean, to me, I don't know what his total number of career starts would have been, but we were joking earlier about you know somebody saying that Alabama's looking for Stetson Bennett. I mean, I guess the high-end comp for Carson Beck might be that he could be Georgia's version of Mac Jones, the guy that waited, was patient, got a chance, and albeit in a pandemic year when no one was playing defense, you know, really kind of exploded with some big numbers there in 2020. I guess if you're Carson Beck, that's sort of what you're hoping for, right, is that, hey – I can do a lot statistically in what might be my one big year here to kind of overcome the fact that I haven't played a lot prior to that. Right. And Mac Jones had 19 career starts because he started four games the, the season yep. before 2020 when Tua went down. And I mean, I, as a New England Patriots fan, I'll be honest, like Mac Jones has not exactly shown a ton in terms of what he's potentially going to be at the next level. And he had a great 
I would say, senior season there at Alabama in 2021. And while, yes, it was against, you know, when no one was playing defense, he was still incredible that year. And so, you know, if that's the bar that Carson needs to have to go in the first round, I still think that's a really high bar for a guy to clear who we just, quite frankly, haven't even seen. Whereas, with, at least with Mac Jones, you saw him go and play well all by throwing two pick sixes on the road against Auburn. You saw him beat a Michigan team uh, in the Florida Bowl that they were in that year because they lost multiple games. So it's a really high bar for Carson to clear. And, you know, again, we've got to see Carson go, you know, how he looks on the road at Auburn before we can even, yeah. you know, have any sort of idea about what he might look like in the NFL draft. No, that would be quite a showdown there for him to show what he's all about, showcase, I should say. Uh, Connor, uh, really good stuff. We just appreciate your insight into everything that happened over the course of the draft season. And obviously now the attention starts to turn fully to what this 2023 campaign can be all about. So I'll look forward to talking to you about that here coming up in the weeks ahead. Thanks so much for your time. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, it's interesting to think about it. You know, as Connor said, you know, okay, well, some of the positions that Georgia may be best at next season are not always positions in which the NFL values from a first-round standpoint. That may be the uh, case. And yet, you know, the thing I'm a big believer on with Brock Bowers is, is and I think that he's done this. I think one final year at Georgia, I believe it'll be his final year, one final year at Georgia can kind of take this sort of the next step of, I think it's appropriate to view Bowers as just sort of a positionless player. You know, we say that sometimes with the guys on defense and basketball, it's kind of become kind of a positionless sport. The best NBA players don't really kind of seem to be defined by a position as much anymore. You know, I, I think that's kind of the way I believe that Brock Bowers ought to be viewed too. You know, last year we made a big thing about, hey, you know, don't compare him to other tight ends, compare him to other wide receivers. And and from that standpoint, Bowers essentially is a wide receiver. And obviously we see plenty of those guys drafted, you know, in the first round each and every year. If you gave me the chance to trade Bowers for really any wide receiver in college football, I haven't seen one yet I'd trade him for. I think he is that good. And I do believe that this year he could play in such a way that, you know, could kind of remove all that about that and kind of elevate him in a conversation of, you know, uh, you know, you think he's a tight end, but he can actually be whatever you want him to be. He is just an offensive weapon. And so I hope, you know, that that's what this season becomes for Brock Bowers, a chance to be thought of that way. And then, of course, if you say, well, you, know, you don't see a lot of inside linebackers drafting the first round and you don't have a lot of this, a lot of that, you imagine how deep the NFL draft could be for Georgia two drafts from now then when some of those, you know, elite recruits have been coming into the program become draft eligible. A lot to think about, a lot, to, a lot of fun stuff to talk about, and obviously we'll get there over the course of time. But for now, though, we've got to go cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And I'll tell you, I, I still look back on and have so much fun uh, reflecting on just how great this Dog Nation cruise was. And I've heard from so many of the folks that have been on the cruise. Yeah, there you see a wonderful picture of us. Well, we showed this yesterday as part of our golden shoe. I'm going to show you some uh, some more pictures from the cruise at, at some point in time. Just such a great group of folks. And really, everybody that I talked to seemed to be having a great time with that cruise, which made me so happy because obviously here at Dog Nation, we'd like to please folks. We'd like to make sure they're having a good time. And it certainly seemed like everybody was having a great time with that Dog Nation cruise. So for those of you who were there, I truly, sincerely, deeply say thank you for it. And for those of you that wish you could be there, I'll tell you the next best thing is to plan your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. The summertime is a great time to do that. Kids are out of school. The ships are so much fun. There's so much energy and enthusiasm running the ship on that. Whether it be one of those seven-night stays one of the Oasis-class ships, I was on Wonder of the Seas in February. I highly recommend uh, that for all the fun things that it provides, the different neighborhoods, 
the cool stuff that's going on for some of you. Seven day cruise, a little bit of a, uh, you know, you don't have enough time to do that right now. For you, a shorter itinerary is a little bit better. You think about a three night or a four night stay, and you know, I've got a three night cruise coming up in June. I'm gonna take my mom on a cruise. Really excited about that. Whichever itinerary fits you best, there is a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation for you. And of course, we're all getting excited as you see on the screen there about January 2024, the debut of Icon of the Seas. We're talking to some folks on the ship this past week about some of the cool things that Icon's going to have going on. Uh, different concepts, different bars and restaurants, specialty uh, a restaurant, some great new entertainment options. It's going to be a wonderful experience. So uh, check out uh, Jessica's later great travel agent. She can help you out with more on this. 770-718-9147. 770-718-9147 for more details on that. All right, let's talk SEC here for a moment. we got some Dylan Riola stuff coming up here in a moment. But prior to that, let's get some SEC news. So we talked about uh, Tyler Buckner, the Alabama transfer quarterback, a little earlier. And the optimistic appraisal, maybe, that he could be uh, Alabama's version of Stetson Bennett, someone who maybe comes in, not all that heralded. Buckner did play a little bit for Notre Dame a year ago, played in the bowl game, threw almost as many interceptions as touchdowns. So he certainly does not come into Tuscaloosa with a huge degree of fanfare necessarily. But that does not stop ESPN from really lavishing him with a good bit of praise in a recent write-up they had. You know, they do these kind of like roundtable-type discussions where they say, hey, who's the big transfer, who's the big whatever? And there was some chatter about uh, Tyler Buckner in this piece at ESPN.com. I want to read this to you. And if you wonder why does Nick Saban make himself so accessible to ESPN, do all these interviews, things like that, it's because occasionally you might get a little coverage that sounds a little something like this. So let me read to you from ESPN.com. The Crimson Tide have a key role to fill on their roster with the departure of quarterback Bryce Young, who takes his place, remains a question. They have options on campus, including Jalen Milrow, and then, uh, uh, but he says, but none of these guys are going to be plug and play answers. To address this need, they added Tyler Buckner. Notre Dame's top signee in 2021. So the, the hype is sort of building here for Buckner from ESPN.com. While an injury sidelined in most of last season, he comes with valuable experience as a starter. And in his time of the Fighting Irish on a high note with an MVP performance in the bowl game went over South Carolina. He also reunites with his former offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese, who is now at Alabama as well. This addition could give Alabama a talented and experienced hand at the wheel of the offense of a national title contender. That is about as favorable assessment as you can provide of <laughs> what Buckner could be if he does emerge as the Alabama starting quarterback. I mean, that is a pretty favorable uh, appraisal right there. I would dare suggest maybe more favorable than the situation actually warrants because what this little write-up about Buckner does not uh, reveal to you is the reason why he's transferring from Notre Dame is because he's not going to be the starting quarterback in Notre Dame. Sam Hartman's going to be the starting quarterback in Notre Dame. So, therefore, Buckner had to go somewhere for a chance to win. So, all of a sudden, much the same way that Tresman Marshall leaves Georgia because he got a better chance to play at Alabama, uh, all of a sudden you've got a Buckner leaving Notre Dame because he's got a better chance to play with the Crimson Tide there as well. That ought to be alarming. And, you know, at the end of this little write-up, they call Alabama a national title contender with Buckner at the helm. Are they still that? Maybe so. I don't know that it's a given necessarily. I really don't. And, you know, this kind of reminds me of, like, the situation with Jermaine Burton a year ago. And I don't mean to – you're not, not going to say a bad word about Jermaine. But Alabama thought because it was Alabama, they could magically make Jermaine Burton into a great wide receiver just because he was wearing that uh, crimson uniform. And it turned out that's not exactly the case, that, that Burton had proven himself to be good at Georgia. But making the transition to being great at Alabama, which is what they needed him to be, uh, that just wasn't in the offering, in the offering uh, last season for Burton. And 
be careful assuming the same thing about Buckner of, oh, we're going to take him off this Notre Dame roster. We're going to put him on this Alabama roster. And magically, he's going to become the, uh, the, the what, they, what they call him, the experienced hand the wheel of a national championship contender. Maybe so. Or maybe he, along with Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson, is the reason why Alabama actually can't compete for the national title here this year. Uh, I just think that's a very favorable description by ESPN of the Alabama quarterback situation. Obviously, Alabama fans hope that's true, but, uh, you know, as the saying goes, you know, hope in one hand and whatever else. But um, anyway, uh, so that's the uh, situation there on that. By the way, speaking of Alabama, and a completely different story here for a moment. I thought this was interesting. So a guy named David Purdom reported this first. Some other the uh, gambling websites sort of picked up on this uh, in addition to that. So sports books in Ohio, you know, sports wagering is legal now, I think 37 states. So you've got sports books all across the country now. And sports books in Ohio suspended betting on all Alabama baseball games recently because of what they thought was a little bit of an odd betting pattern in a game from this weekend involving Alabama and LSU. LSU was a huge favorite in the game. Um, and the game ended up being eight to six. Uh, LSU was up big. Alabama came back, you know, close to the end. I don't really quite know, you know, what the um, what the actual accusation might be here, but but what the sports books said they recognized was an odd betting pattern, which what it probably means is is that way more bets came in on a college baseball game than should normally come in. This is the thing that you've heard about, like point shaving scandals in college basketball over the years, things like that. There's been a lot of like books and stuff written about this. In most cases, the the, the famous point shaving scandals that have taken place in college basketball. In many cases, I should say. The sports books in Nevada, which was back then about the only place you could bet on this kind of stuff, were pretty well aware that something was up weird with these games because a typical regular season college basketball game does not produce a very big what they call handle, which is the amount of money wagered on one of these games. They just don't produce very big handles. And uh, when you have a huge exorbitant sum of money bet on some of these games, you sort of have an idea of, oh, something must be up. So apparently some folks in Ohio, some of the sports books there, thought something must be up with one of these Alabama college baseball games. And, you know, who, who's to say what the specific accusation is, what the specific concern is. But they stopped, they stopped taking bets on these. And now some other states have kind of followed suit there on that. So this is kind of worth paying attention to. Obviously, sports wagering is, a lot, is legal in a lot of places. And a lot of these sports books start to expand their offerings to the kinds of games they take bets on. But when it's one of these sort of smaller sports with a smaller audience in general, if anybody tries to get frisky with anything involving that, it's just going to be easier to spot it because the big bet is probably presence of something might be weird about it. So, uh, you know, we may see stories like this more in the future or, you know, whatever, uh, but kind of an interesting uh, developing situation potentially involving an SEC baseball situation there. No specific accusation as of yet, but uh, sports books have stopped taking bets on uh, Alabama baseball here for right now as reported by one of the ESPN.com guys. And then finally, there's this. I think this is a fairly sizable story. Uh, now, why are we doing this? I'm trying to do something good. So we're going to talk about Garrett Nussmeyer for a second. And uh, 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 the, the the picture we see is uh, Jalen uh, Carter holding up Jane Daniels, which is kind of a funny transition. I don't know why that's funny to me. Uh, we're talking about the LSU quarterback situation. The first thing you see is Daniels being hoisted in the air like a trophy. That that that, uh, that cracks me up. That's very funny. But the point is, is the transfer portal has closed. And one of the names that did not 
enter the transfer portal is Garrett Nussmeyer. It's been reported coming out of LSU that Nussmeyer's plan is to stay with that program here for the 2023 season. And the guy, if you're watching a video, you see on your screen, uh, Jaden Daniels, you know, he got hurt during the SEC championship game, had to give way to Garrett Nussmeyer, and Nussmeyer came in and played pretty well. I've told you a lot that I think that Nussmeyer can still be a weapon for LSU. Maybe Daniels is the better of the two quarterbacks. Maybe he's the guy that if he's healthy is destined to start. But if there was ever a situation in which you could conceivably have a role for two quarterbacks, Daniels and Nussmeyer being such different players, maybe that's an example of one of those situations that could you know kind of work out. And you know, keep in mind, Walker Howard left LSU to go to Ole Miss. Part of the reason I believe he left is because he, I think he realized just how good Garrett Nussmeyer really was. Sometimes you sort of see that happening there. Um, so Nussmeyer staying with LSU, I think, is a pretty big deal. We just talked a good bit today about the Alabama quarterback situation. I think it's fairly easy to surmise that LSU has two quarterbacks right now better than anything Alabama has. And so, you know, from that standpoint, holding on to both these quarterbacks for the upcoming season, I think, is a pretty big deal. So whether it be Nussmeyer coming in because of an injury or Brian Kelly getting creative and finding a way to use both these quarterbacks, Nussmeyer remaining with LSU, I think, is a pretty big deal. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, normally this is the part of the show in which we catch up with former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm. We always love his conversations. We'll look forward to hopefully getting a chance to do that very soon. Jake, not available today. But in keeping with the kind of the chatter around quarterbacks, I did want to give you this quick note. So, obviously, the other day we were kind of on commitment watch for five-star quarterback Dylan Riola. That rumor sort of bubbled up out of nowhere, and everybody was kind of manning their battle stations for what might come next on that, and then sort of nothing came. Uh, certainly no one has kind of been of the belief that the relationship between Riola and Georgia has changed very much here. It's still sort of thought that Georgia's in the driver's seat for that recruitment, and obviously Georgia doing everything it can in the final stretch to make sure that remains true. So with that in mind, the uh, school that uh, uh, Riola attends out in Arizona, Pinnacle, uh, put out on Twitter here this week that Georgia offensive coordinator Mike Bobo, uh, the Pinnacle football program, saying thank you to Coach Mike Bobo and Georgia football for coming out to practice today and check out the Pioneers. So Bobo flying out to Arizona, getting a chance to see Ryle in person. One of the things we've been led to believe here is that Mike Bobo is actually a very positive development in Ryle's recruitment, that seemingly the relationship that, that Ryle had with Georgia was enhanced and increased because of the presence of Mike Bobo here at offensive coordinator. So that's one of the weapons that Georgia may have for itself going forward is an offensive coordinator in Bobo right now who can take the lead on a recruitment like this and have a real chance to win with a guy like Riola. Comfort there, obviously, we know that Riola knows Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford knows uh, Mike Bobo. There's just a little bit of uh, kind of a comfort all around there. And Bobo, who when he was here in his previous iteration as Georgia offensive coordinator, viewed to be one of the best uh recruiters in the entire program kind of stepping back into that role as offensive coordinator right now and going out and kind of visiting face-to-face with Dylan Riola and maybe having a chance to put the finishing touches on a recruitment that might result in a Riola commitment sooner rather than later. Don't forget, Riola's got that uh, official visit coming to Georgia at the beginning of the June. There had been some thought that he might commit prior to that official visit, so we'll find out this month if that is indeed in the offering. But uh, Bobo out in Arizona visiting Dylan Riola, pretty big development in kind of next steps here in the recruitment of the nation's number one player and a five-star quarterback, Dylan Riola. Very, very interesting things to come on that note. So we'll keep our eyes on what happens next in all of this. And as we wrap up here today, getting back to Golden Shoes after not having some last week because of our pre-recorded shows, we talked about the the Georgia fans' newfound love for the Philadelphia Eagles, maybe kind of leaving the uh, Falcons at the altar to go do that. Our buddy Mad Dog was on that topic. Nice little illustration here. He says, uh, Dog Nation Daily, the dogs are flying with the Eagles. 
you see a Georgia Bulldog there say, take care of my boys. And the Eagle comes back to say, you got it, dog. So uh, there you go. Uh, a lot of dog fans loving all those Philadelphia Eagles up there. Uh, you know, former Georgia players up there with Philadelphia. And who knows? Maybe we'll do a Dog Nation invasion to the city of brotherly love at some point in time there as well. <laughs> I think the schedule comes out in a few weeks. So we will see if there's any uh, game that kind of makes some sense for us there on that. So good job, Mad Dog. We'll give you a golden shoe there on that. By the way, speaking of teams we don't like very much, but those lousy, stinking Gators. 179 days from right now, Georgia back in Jacksonville, beating Florida again. That's our Gatorator countdown. We'll see you tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG.